0: Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Allison Winscotch is the author of The Rewind. She's already been on this podcast and now she is back on, this time guest hosted by Alicia Fernandez Miranda, author of My What If Year, which is coming out February 7th from Zibi Books. Pre-order now. Allison Winscotch is the New York Times bestselling author of eight novels, including Time of My Life in 20 Years, and Cleo McDougall Regrets Nothing. A cum laude graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, where she studied history and marketing, she currently lives in Los Angeles.
1: Oh, guys, see, we're already having fun, and we've just started, because I am here with Allison Winscotch, the author of The Rewind, which I just loved. I read it at the perfect time of year. Right. So, like, it's a book that takes place on New Year's Eve. So, reading it in kind of the lead up to the holidays was like very, very good. I loved the 90s throwback. I just, thank you. I really, really loved it. I just, I have like a huge smile on thank my face you. even talking about it because I enjoyed it so much. And this was my first of your many books that I have read. So, now I can't wait to dive into oh, the thank you. back catalog. But it's just was great. Thank you. I mean, that genuinely means. It means so much to me.
3: Like it just, you know, you you just love it when a reader loves a book and whether you're an interviewer or not, you know, well, you will find out soon. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's genuinely like sort of emotional that people read your stuff who you don't know and actually enjoy it. So thank you very much.
1: I love that you don't feel jaded after having written so many books that people really love because I do sometimes wonder when you get to your like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth book, if it starts to feel a bit kind of rote. You know,
3: I think there are aspects, I mean, you guys have done a gajillion interviews and I think there are aspects of the publishing industry that I'm quite jaded about, but the reader connection never loses its magic for me. So I think there is, I think a lot of people who have been doing this for a long time, you know, do have a little bit of a hardened shell about the business aspect of it. But it is such a difficult business that we wouldn't keep doing it if there weren't, you know, the pot of gold at the end. And the pot of gold is making readers uh, fall in love with your writing or uh, resonating in some way or, you know, with this book, honestly hopefully just giving people something to enjoy because when I, I wrote it sort of in the middle of covid and i just wanted to write something enjoyable and that's a win so that aspect will never lose you know people email me or leave me a comment or whatever and that i try to reply to everybody because that aspect of it somebody enjoying the the you know year long work that you've done it, it's the it's the best part
1: that's amazing so yeah you know as you know i know you know zibi and yeah you know, her kind of ethos behind Zippy Books was sort of taking things about what she didn't like about the publishing process and trying yeah. to change them. I mean, is there anything yeah. sort of specifically that you would highlight that really drives you crazy? <laughs> um, sure. How much time
3: do we have? <laughs> no. The one thing that I find very difficult, and look, I have been. My first book came out. Uh, I honestly can't remember. I want to say 15 years ago. So I have been doing this for a long time. I have dear friends who are on the publishing and editorial side of it. I love my editor. The team at Berkeley is amazing. Um, So I, I have had very positive experiences where my second book took off in a way that nobody expected, hit the times list, blah, blah, blah. I've had really demoralizing experiences and I'm pretty open about sort of all my ups and downs because I think it's important to be transparent that this is, it's a difficult industry. Mm. So but the one thing that to to pinpoint your question that really upsets me is if a book does not do well, I feel as if not, I feel an author is almost always blamed for it. Mm. And I find that really frustrating because all we can do is write the book that a publisher or editor has asked for and it has been vetted and it has been edited probably, I don't know, five, seven times. That's how many drafts I usually go yeah. through. And, you know, a dozen people at the publisher have signed off on it. So if for some reason it doesn't sell, I find it really frustrating when the author is blamed for that because we have delivered the book that has been asked for. And I I can't be responsible for sales. Like I can, particularly in the early days when there wasn't social media, but even now, more so the onus is placed on the author. Like go, you know, post a pretty picture of it. Well, okay. (laughs) I, I hope there's more marketing than that. So I just find it upsetting when either I've been blamed or friends have been blamed and they've written beautiful books that just for whatever reason have not received the sales figures that they deserve. And then some people find it really hard to to get another book deal. Yeah. And I just think that sucks because all we can do is write the book that's been asked of us. So
1: that's my, my one big gripe. I really I hear you, and I feel the kind of flip side of that. So just today, Zibby posted a picture of her holding my arc. She's publishing my book. It's her first book. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And it really it does. And I was just saying to my husband before I got on this call, I was like, Do you know, really is it's our baby? Like it's I wrote the book, yeah. but it was it's such it's been such a team effort to get it to the point of publication for sure. That it feels like I am really sharing this with all of them. So right. ho- hopefully we w- we're going to share the good and the bad, but a hundred percent. And so,
3: and, and just to you piggyback on that, as I said, I love the collaboration. I, the editorial part of it is my favorite aspect of the whole thing. I feel like I can usually write like a decent first draft. Like I always say I can I can take something to a B plus, but I cannot, I I need the outside guidance to write an A level book. And so I'm not, I think what I find frustrating is it is such a collaboration. And then often, at least with traditional publishers, I know Zibi is doing something different. If a book doesn't work, and I don't know what what goes on internally, if there's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, we should have done this. uh, but, But in terms of the career, the author is the one who doesn't necessarily get a second shot at it or, you know, confidence is lost. So that's just, you know, it isn't such a collaboration. And I find that collaboration very joyous. I just, you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard when you feel like, well, what else could I have done? And it's depressing. Mm -hmm. Totally, (laughs) that's all. So, but there are a lot of positives about it. Yeah. Sorry. Well, no, no, no. To- I love
1: it. No, no, no. Yeah, not at all. I wanted to know this. And actually, yeah. I think that that's, yeah. you know, so many people that listen to this listen because they love books and reading, but quite a few people who are writers or aspiring writers listen sure. to this. So I actually think it's really, really interesting for people to kind of get into what publishing is really like. Because on social media, it does look all glitzy, glamorous. Here's me with my special right. unboxing video, and here's right, you know, right, right. And like, doesn't this all look, you know, incredible? And you don't see the rejections, and you don't see their challenges. Yeah, correct. And it's, it's important it's a to very, share that stuff.
3: It, it's a wonderful job, and I feel so lucky to be able to do it for so long. But you know, there's a reason that you see authors saying, "Please go leave a review. Please go tell your friends." It's a lot of authors are sort of white knuckling it to their next deal. Mm. I, I don't want to sound in any way complaining. It's just pulling back the curtain a little bit that if you were a reader and you loved a book, please tell your friends. Like that's how it all, so spot, you know, snowballs. So yeah, that's, you know, and, and you guys, it to be books are doing such a good job, you know,
1: advocating for authors who might not otherwise get a spotlight. So. It is a team of book lovers. I mean, I think, yes. um, like, and book geeks. Like, I mean, I don't, I want, for I'll only speak for, for myself. Sure. No one else might consider yeah. myself a geek, oh. but like absolutely geeking out about books and stories and for being sure. able to guest host these podcasts for Zibby's Podcast for Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been for me like, the most joyful thing because yeah. I to read a bunch of stuff that either isn't out yet or just came out, or maybe I wouldn't have seen or picked up. And then I get to talk to the authors about it, which really could not be cooler. And especially when I like the books, I really have liked the books that yeah. I read for this. It's been <laughs> such a joy. So, you know, but I, I think am also I, a book geek, sides. so I
3: understand. Good. Yeah. Good. yeah. I'm glad oh, you yeah. are. And again, I, I love, I, I really do love my, like the people I'm working with and I have had Mostly positive experiences. It's just, I'm not even like expressing this about my own experience, but you know, authors get together and they talk and it, it's a tough industry. Yeah, it
1: so. is It is tough out there. But there's a collaboration yeah. I want you to tell us about, which is sure. Frankie, Frankie and Ezra. <laughs> Good segue. I want to talk about this book. I just, yeah. it's just so, just, okay. Let's start by, why don't you tell listeners what The Rewind is sure. about? So The Rewind is about, two
3: exes who really had a very difficult breakup and haven't spoken in a decade, but are back on their old college campus for a wedding and have sort of vowed not to interact for the weekend. And then the next morning, um, wake up in bed together with engagement rings on or wedding bands on and have no memory of how they got here. So it's really about retracing their steps from the night before and also retracing what went wrong in their history that led to such a calamitous breakup.
1: So you mentioned this was a pandemic book for you. Mm -hmm. How did you kind of come up with the idea sitting in your COVID, COVID hope? Hopefully COVID-free, but like, you know, COVID-protected house. Uh, it,
3: yeah, uh, it was COVID-free. I think I need to be studied. Uh, you know what? I don't even want to jinx myself. I need to be studied by science because I have not gotten it yet. Uh, I'm going to touch least, everything
1: wood in my room for you I know, right now. literally <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow.
3: I'm, I'm knocking on everything. Exactly. Or maybe I've had it, but I should say I haven't tested positive. So I stumbled on this idea about nine months into it. I just, I hadn't written anything again, like very transparent. I was just dealing with, I live in California. My kids hadn't been in school since the lockdown. So it was just, there was a a lot of sort of aggrieved people in my house (laughs) who were arguing. And anyway, so I had gone out to take a walk as we all did very often. And I was talking to Laura Dave, who's another author who I'm sure everybody listening to this knows, who is a very good friend of mine and one of my first collaboration partners. And I was just like, oh, I feel like I have to start writing something. And I was just sort of like spitting out ideas. And I said, like, what if it's like The Hangover, but a romantic comedy? And she was like, okay, that's a brilliant idea. I mentioned this in the acknowledgement. She's like, but it's going to be really hard to write. (laughs) So (laughs) don't mention it to anybody because they're going to make you write it. So... I was sort of desperate for an idea. So I did mention it to my agent. She's like, Great, now you have to write it. So <laughs> that was, it was literally just like that seed of a spitballing. You know, I think she and I came up with like four different ideas and I sent them into my agent. And this was the one, of course, that she picked. And so then I started writing it. And I would say, like, every 50 pages, I would call up my agent and be like, Again, it's a little insider baseball. I was like, Please, can you just sell it on a partial? I don't want to finish this without an editor. I don't know what I'm doing. It's so hard. <laughs> and <laughs> she kept being like, send me a few more pages and then maybe we will. And she made me write the whole thing. And then that's when we that's how it it you know reached where it was now. Not where it was now, because then obviously your editor comes in and makes it better. But that's how we sold it.
1: I'm like kind of amazed actually that you wrote it in pieces because of the structure of the story and the kind of working backwards bit, you would think that you would have had it all planned out. What was your process like for this book?
3: Yeah, it was, that's a great question. And that is what made it so hard that I am a cancer, So I do not outline. I just start on page one and I go, I did outline for one book and I found it really, really difficult. I just like to sort of see where the characters go Problems in their way and see how they would react to them. So that is what made it so difficult was that I didn't, I I knew how it was going to end, but I did not know how they were going to get there. And I just had to, like the characters, stumble along the way to figure out where they were going. And so, you know, it was really difficult. And I was juggling three different timelines I was juggling the day that they woke up, I was juggling the night before, and then I was juggling their history from a decade Mm -hmm. ago. So it was just really arduous. I mean, that's, which is why I kept calling my (laughs) agent and being like, I can't write this. I want you to sell it, but I can't write it, which is not what your agent wants to hear. So yeah, it just, my life harder for myself by not outlining, but I just had such a difficult experience with that book where I did that. I just, I don't know. I always managed to get to the other side. I'm working on a book now that is. I'm like on my fifth draft of it, and it's almost good, but it's not good. <laughs> and if I had outlined it, it probably would have been better. But this is just my process. Like every time, I'm like, "Oh, why am I doing this? <laughs> like, can I go?" I actually, when I I did a signing at an independent bookstore, and I was like, "And and Zivy listeners will know that she's opening up her own store here in LA," and I was like. I think I came home I was like, I think I just want to work at a bookstore. <laughs> like that just sounds so much, so enjoyable. <laughs> so
1: maybe in my next, in my uh, next career. I think, is yeah. it like, is it like having a kid that once you finished it, you forget how horrible it was? A and- hundred, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a hundred percent,
3: a hundred percent. Or it's like raising kids. Like you're like, Oh, the to- I have two teenagers. Like the toddler face sounds so delightful. Oh I, know. I, mean, I know, right? Listeners are like, what? what is wrong with you? But I have two teenagers. So, you know, that's exactly what it is.
1: That's so, so funny. Now, where were you yeah. on Y2K on the eve of the millennium? What were you doing? So,
3: I was actually, I had gone through a breakup and I figured we would spend our time. That evening together, but we didn't. So my brother, I don't know if he had gone through a breakup. I can't remember, but anyway, he was like, "I'm going to Cabo, and I have a free room for you to stay in." So I went down to Cabo with him. I know my my older brother, so that I was there, but I didn't really buy into. I was a little like Frankie. I didn't buy into any of that Y2K stuff. I thought it was absurd. It was an early night. Like I remember some of the people we were on the trip with went out and I'm not a big like New Year's Eve person. I don't know if, if you are, but yeah. So that's where that's where I was. Probably just very sad and mourning <laughs> my breakup that that in hindsight, like many listeners, I'm sure I was like, Oh my God, thank God that I didn't end up with that person. But yeah, so that's but where in Cabo. were you? Do you remember? Good place
1: to be I was. I was Yeah, I was in Cabo, yeah. I was. So my my I used to spend all my New Years in Miami with my family, which is where I grew up and my uncle still hosts a really big New Year's Eve party. But I think we skipped it that year. I have a vague memory of being in the back of someone's Jeep with my best friend and her sister, and Tyson Beckford, the male model, was, oh, like, yeah. riding behind yeah. us. We were, like, on Ocean Drive. That's such a or, Miami you know, on story. It's such a Miami <laughs> story. And he was, like, <laughs> on this Beckford's motorbike friend. behind us, and yeah. we were, like, trying to get his attention. So that. that is a I, very I know. Y2K Miami story. I love it. I'm like thinking about that now. I'm like, oh my God, that's like such a cliche. You know, Miami is a great right. place to yeah. be for the New Year's. Like Cabo, it's warm and sunny. So exactly. but now we celebrate Hogmanay, which is Scottish New Year. And we usually oh. do it, we, the past few years we've been on the Isle of Skye. Uh, It's very cold and like fires and lots of whiskey and uh, lots of traditions. Like you have to listen to the bells ring at midnight and then you have to have a tall, dark stranger darken your doorstep and you have to offer them whiskey. And that's like your good luck for the new year. But also my family is uh, Cuban. and That sounds amazing. Family is Venezuelan. So you're also supposed to like run around the street with a suitcase. I don't know. We've got like 6,000 traditions and you have to eat 12 grapes. (laughs) So there's a lot to do on New Year's Eve, actually, as we're pretty busy that day. <laughs> While well,
3: drinking whiskey, I love
1: it. it sounds yeah. like a lot of stuff to get done. So but, it's
3: uh, definitely a lot. Cake and yeah.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly
0: special personalized card from Moonpig.
1: You. So if you, you set this book in the nineties, yeah. um, which was so fun to like go back to that time. Why mm-hmm. did you, is that like a time period that you really love? Did you just think the story fit there? Like, tell me about that decision. Great question. Uh, uh,
3: sort of all of the above. One is I went to college in the nineties. So I have a very sort of nostalgic love of that experience and that time. Part of it is just that time in your sort of early twenties where Anything feels possible, and you feel a little bit invincible, even if you're miserable or whatever. Like, it's just like the whole world is wide open. And I have a very fond memory of my college experience. So that was a little bit that. But also, I realized very quickly that if I had said it in current time, they would have just checked their phones. Yeah. So there isn't a lot of mystery left uh, anymore because of our phones. So I just had to eliminate smartphones. And so then when I realized, oh, you know, that millennium, New Year's Eve, we were all, it felt, I don't know, sort of foundational, like it felt like an important moment in your life, even though, of course, it wasn't. But that's how the media was playing Mm -hmm. it up. And, you know, we're never going to be alive again for a new millennium. So it just felt like a really romantic time where people maybe made heady decisions that they wouldn't otherwise. So, yeah, so it, it worked out that that happened to coincide with the no smartphone decision and I mean the music and the fashion it was just it was super fun it
1: was so it was so great <laughs> to read and I just kept thinking of Frankie with her Walkman like going around with her Walkman. Yes. and I just love that,
3: that image <laughs> yeah with like the
1: yellow headphones I mean remember we carried those clunky
3: things around and yeah. then uh transition to CDs which we thought were like so high tech and Yeah, you know the and the the clothes and the Doc Martens and I have a teenage daughter who dresses exactly like I dressed in college now and it's It's weird, (laughs) right? (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) Yeah, so it was really it was very fun to revisit. So and in the middle of COVID, that brought me a lot of joy.
1: Yeah, I went into yeah. um, Reformation, which is a store I really like. <laughs> yes. Even though I'm like way too old to be shopping there, and I—I <laughs> no, I, I, I walked into a store. Short, it was. This was like right before lockdown. Actually, it was in March 2020, yeah. and I was like, I—I I actually owned these clothes. I'm not gonna buy them again. I already owned them once, so there's yeah. no way I can buy. And it was terrifying, actually, because I was like, How have I become so old that my clothes have come back around and they're oh
2: yeah. Now?
3: It's I really weird. regret my daughter's about my same size. I really regret getting rid of all that stuff. You know, they're wearing like the massive baggy jeans and some of it is like acid washed, which is even more horrifying and like little tank tops or massively oversized hoodies. And, you know, they go to Urban Outfitters, which we had on my college campus. And I mean, Reformation, same same thing. So yeah, it was fun to write and it is wild to watch your kids Make the same
1: fashion mistakes. That you did. <laughs> oh, it really comes um, around. Now, I was browsing. Yeah, it really does. I was browsing your Instagram and I came across Adopt a Library, which is something you've been doing. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that.
3: Sure. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. So, over the summer, I was contacted by a librarian in Alabama. I sometimes do mistakenly say Arkansas, but it's Alabama. And um, she asked me if I could donate some of my books because they didn't have the budget for it. So I was like, of course, you know, I'll send you a full box. And I said, could I also send you, as you know, I a lot of authors get free books all the time. It's one of the perks. And I said, you know, I have a whole bunch of other books I'd be happy to send down. And she willingly took them. So then I was like, well, why aren't we all sent, you know, so many authors or readers are in a fortunate position of having full bookshelves of either books that we've read once and set aside or books we've never read. You know, how about if I try to do this for other places? So I put a call out both for readers and authors and librarians, and it turned out that a lot of people wanted to do it. So we ended up sending about 2,000 books to various libraries and schools. I should say a lot of schools are in dire straits. So that was sort of the start of it. And then I have a friend who runs LIDS that Company and they have a foundation, and so they reached out and were like, "You know, we'd actually like to give some grants to these libraries." So I just compiled a list of ten public libraries, and they're sending them all a thousand dollars, and we're hoping that it can sort of be an ongoing thing. So, you know, I feel like I was really lucky, either as a child, I mean, as a child, to have books come into my life. My mom was a teacher. Um, and I think it really shaped my worldview. Mm. And so to be able to help communities that maybe don't have the same funding or households that don't have the same access, it's really gratifying. You know, I would literally, I said to my husband, like, talk about the theme of if there's something else I wanted to do. I was like, I would just like to help libraries for the rest of my life. Like, it's so, I think that if you are in a position where you just have books coming in or you can just go into an independent bookstore and pay money for whatever you want or shop on Amazon. yeah. you don't realize that not everybody has that access. So to be able to do that was was and is really it's one of the most
1: enjoyable things I've done recently. So I, I think it's awesome. Is there a way for people to get involved locally? Like is this something you have people can do at their own library and stuff like that?
3: Absolutely. Well, so what people may not know is most public libraries or even schools, particularly underfunded schools, public schools, accept donations. And if they get, you know, they, they, I will say they prefer sort of very good condition books, like Mm -hmm. don't pull out your books that you've had (laughs) for 30 years and are like yellowing and dusty. And they, it's one less budget, you know, thing that they have to allocate for for their budget. And I actually do have a big spreadsheet if people want to find me on Instagram of schools or public libraries that have specifically requested. They told me what they're looking for, you know, whether it's YA, middle grade, LBGTQ types of things that they're in need of. So I think I will probably start that drive again, like in the spring. Mm -hmm. So we'll, I'll do a whole nother push for book donations, but it's super easy. You just, you can send them media mail. So it's like very inexpensive. I really wanted to keep costs low for people who were donating. You just put them in a box and you take them to the post office. And I sent like 25 books off to the library in Alabama for like $11. And that's like, you know, several hundred dollars worth of books that they don't either have the budget for or that they don't have to pay for now. So
1: I love it. You know, so easy. Yeah. It's really amazing. I did not, I don't think I, did I I can't remember if we had a lot of new books when I was a kid. I don't think so. But I would go to the library all the time. And that was just where I found my love for reading. And it was such an amazing place. And so I just love this idea. I thought it was so cool that you started. Oh,
3: thank you. I mean, you know, hats off to the librarian who took a chance to email me and say, can you send in your books? And, you know, very appreciative of Litz Foundation who was like, we really looked for libraries and communities that are probably not getting a lot of funding, where a thousand dollars can make a big impact. Yeah. And a lot of these towns or small cities, you know, that's like the resource. Like people go there, as you said, like after school or you know on their weekends. So we're hoping to, you know, make those communities, uh, sort of those libraries and those communities, a beacon for them. So
1: that's awesome. We'll am make yeah. open for yeah. the next drive.
3: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's very exciting.
1: So what are you reading right now?
3: So right now I'm reading The Dead Romantics, which I'm really enjoying. I've been in like a big rom-com reading phase Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's funny when I was younger, I never read anything in my genre while I was writing because I was so worried that I would like hear that voice and mimic it in my Mm -hmm. writing. But now there's so many... I mean, there were, have always been great romance or rom-com writers, but there's so many women, it's mostly women who are doing it so well that I've been reading them to sort of absorb it to help my new draft. So I'm really liking The Dead Romantics. I loved Funny You Should Ask by Alyssa Sussman. I love The Spanish Love Experiment. Mm-hmm. No, The Spanish Love Deception. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, I read on my Kindle, so I like inhale them and then I sort of forget what was on there. I just listened to Rob Delaney's book, A Heart That Works, which I thought was wonderful. And I would encourage people. I really enjoyed listening to it. I think people will maybe be hesitant to read it because it is about the death of a son, Mm -hmm. but I didn't find it sad. I found it. it was like really written out of love. So, and he's so, he's funny and I don't know. I just thought it was a very, like it sheds light on humanity. So I would really recommend that as well.
1: So, and so you said you're working on a book. What's up next for you? What's kind of your uh, on your twenty twenty three agenda?
3: I have a book that is supposed to come out around this time next year. I don't know if they've finalized the date for it. Uh, It's called the Retake, as opposed to the Rewind. Oh, okay. And it is about sort of the world's most famous actress, like a Julia Roberts in her heyday type, who blows up her career. She's an she's a rom com actress like America's sweetheart. I haven't obviously honed this pitch yet. <laughs> <since I'm like laughs> making a massive Anyway, she goes home. She finds an anonymous love letter, and her team thinks uh, at her house that it's like the way that she can get back in America's good graces. So she sets out to find out who sent it to her. So it's like a fun sort of rom com road trip
1: second chance. Relax. So here for that. I'm so here for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Even with my bad kids, Do You so, know what though? I like because, that actually, oftentimes I ask like that when I've done these, I've asked authors and a lot of times people do not want to share what they're working on. I guess, for, oh. you know, it's going to change a mm. lot or no, I guess I'm not precious. But, you know, and I guess they're worried about sharing too much. But I kind of love it because then when this book comes out, people can come back and listen and be like, huh, is that what this book ended up being? (laughs) Or did she turn it into a horror
3: novel? Who knows? It's (laughs) funny. In the back of the Rewind, I think there's a blurb and it says, like, she was a romance novelist. Like, it is... I understand that, (laughs) but... Just go along for the ride with me, listeners. I don't, you know, I never know what's about to happen. So, uh, as I said, since I don't outline. So she is now a movie star and it's actually, it's very fun. It's not quite done to where it needs to be, but I feel like it's finally getting close. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm on like the fifth draft now and I'm in the middle of editing and I'm, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is terrible. But I was reading parts of it yesterday and I was like, oh, okay. Like I wouldn't be mortified if, if this section of it came out. So that
1: is a great place to be. I <laughs> say. Oh my gosh, Allison, I have I wouldn't loved, like, want to crawl under my bed. I wouldn't want to just literally disappear and, you know, if someone yeah, read this one exactly. paragraph. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> well, you know, you're an author. I, oh, I know. And you never know how you're gonna feel reading that iteration of it. Sometimes you're like, this is amazing. I'm so awesome. And sometimes you're like, this is the biggest pile of dog poop ever. Yeah. So I had all
1: the yeah. I had all the emotions. I have all the emotions <laughs> yeah, exactly. all the time. <laughs> Um, Exactly. This has been the most fun chat. I feel like it's New Year's Eve and we've like had a party. Mm -hmm. We always end this, as you know, with advice to aspiring writers. So Mm -hmm. what um, beautiful pearls of wisdom do you have to share with the moms don't have time to read books listeners today?
3: It's funny. I probably shared the same time, same advice the last time I did this, but I have a few and I think my top two are revise one or two more times than you think the stomach for because having been a writer who thought her first book was done and uh, it didn't sell, a book that you think is done is very often not done. And uh, if you can just sort of dig in and stomach through going through one more time with objective criticism from a trusted reader, your agent and editor, if you're just starting out, you may not have that. But somebody whose guidance you trust, I find that sort of those edits, the one or one or two more times that you feel that it's done, but it probably isn't, really elevates the book. As I said earlier, it takes it from sort of a B book to an A book. Mm-hmm. So don't send it out yet. Sit on it. Revise it one more time. And then tying into that is, I think, the biggest mistake that a lot of first-time authors make, actually, even veteran authors, is... They have an ego about sort of being precious about their work. And I think that ego is the most damaging thing that you can bring to the collaboration. Nothing you write should be so valuable that you can't take a look at it objectively and say, this could be better. Mm -hmm. Um, And if somebody is giving you constructive criticism, it's only because they're there trying to help. And that doesn't mean you have to take everything they say and apply it, but sort of putting up that wall of like, oh no, like I'm not willing to hear this. It's so detrimental to the process. And I I, fe- I think I've mostly always been this way, but really going on, you know, this is my ninth book. I still, as I said, go through five to seven revisions. And if I were sort of proprietary about what I was willing to look at and examine and make better, books wouldn't be as good, which isn't to say everybody loves the books, et cetera. But I just think putting having an ego in this process is, it's just not good for the work. So try to not take things personally, you know, from, from people from people advice. who are rooting for you. Like if somebody tags you in a really nasty review, you can take them personally. <laughs> but um, yeah, exactly. But from the people who are working to help you, don't take things personally. So...
1: That is like exactly the advice I needed to hear at this exact moment in time. So I am very grateful for that. I feel like everybody probably says that. And no, I I feel like that's, I don't know if that's a common, I I I don't know. You know, so I've done 10 of these and I feel like there's been yeah. a real range. I'm not sure anybody has repeated advice actually. Like everybody's so unique in the, the process, but sometimes you hear like the thing you need to hear at the exact moment you need to hear it. And that is what I needed. So even if no one else finds that helpful, Wonderful. which I suspect will not happen, you have helped me. Allison, I have loved this. Thank you so much for joining oh, me on the I'm podcast so today. Me
3: too. Have an amazing
1: New Year's Eve doing all of your things Thank with you. the whiskey and the grapes. And it's, the all, it's all suitcases. scheduled to make sure we get it in before 12. Whiskey, grapes, suitcases, oh my gosh, that sounds, dark strangers. That's yeah, we're doing it all. That's amazing. Yeah. Dark <laughs> oh, strangers.
0: Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks so much, Alicia. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.